Now, in the Bible, when we hear precepts or commands, sometimes they wear on us. It's, oh, the Lord's telling me to do this or don't do this. And sometimes those are hard to do. But with these precepts come these promises that show us how we can keep these precepts. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to look at a single verse this morning and share with you some things that I hope will help you as they have helped me in the past. Isaiah 41, verse number 10. The Bible says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. And by the way, those are the two precepts. Fear not, be not dismayed. By the way, it's a command. Fear not, be not dismayed. Fear not, be not dismayed. Sandwiched around, for I am with thee. Now, here are the promises. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Let's pray and ask the Lord to share some things with us today that will help us. Lord, I pray you will help me to clearly give meaning to your words. Lord, I prayed a lot about this and I firmly believe this is what you want to share today. I know that these truths are are truths that have helped me. And I wish that I had claimed some of these truths earlier in my life. I pray, Lord, that our students will learn that they can fear not. They will learn that they don't have to be dismayed because you are with us. Lord, I acknowledge publicly again that in this as in all other things, I need your help. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from above for the Father of life with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Lord, I pray that you'll work through your word. I pray you'll encourage listeners, I think especially those who are in their freshman year, others who maybe have a heavy load, others who may be here dealing with finances. I pray that they will cast their care upon you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Although I'm in my 21st year here at West Coast Baptist College, I have spent my life 39 years as a college teacher. I graduated when I was 20, started teaching when I was 21. It's been my lifetime. Prior to coming here, my wife and I were serving at a college that I helped found in Powell, Tennessee. And during that time there, as the seven years I was vice president of that college, my mom got cancer. And uh, she was in her 50s. My mom uh, was a principal for many years. She started a Christian school for me when I was in first grade. I went to one year of public school. And my dad, who is, uh, his like to confront people on things. He was down there at the public school a lot about his kindergarten son. Evolution, Hanukkah, you name it. Scary stories before nap time. My dad was there. And after one year, he said, we're going to start a Christian school. And that Christian school was started 55 years ago. Uh, my, mom, my dad was the superintendent. My mom was the principal. And my mom was the first grade teacher. I was in first grade. That was bad. Okay, I realize that double jeopardy is against the law in the United States, which means you can't be punished twice for the same crime. That was not true in our family. Uh, if I got punished at school, I got a whooping at home. I can promise you that. Uh, no question about that. And, uh, but I'm very thankful for Christian education. I'm very thankful for people impacted my life. Uh, my favorite college teacher, 
who is now in his 80s. He can no longer drive. He is hard of hearing. He's very hard to talk to on the phone. Um, greatly impacted my life. I write him every month of my life. I send him a Christmas gift every month. I always sign it, your forever student. I'm grateful for his impact on my life. There's no question about that. But I remember, as I said, going away to college, and I remember at different times when I was fearful. I remember specifically at this time when I was at Crown at that time, when my dad said, he called me, said, son, if you want to see your mom, you need to come home right away. She will be gone in the next couple of days. And I talked to Dr. Sexton. He gave me permission to leave. I remember driving to Nashville. It was the fastest flight. Flew out of Nashville to Los Angeles. Somebody picked me up at the airport. I got home. My mom was in hospice care there in our living room, laying on a hospital bed. She had stopped eating, stopped drinking. Uh, she was on morphine. They were using little swabs, like a little sponge, just to keep her lips from cracking open. And uh, her body was already starting to get cold. When someone was passing away, I was in the home of a man in my class uh, last Wednesday, who died on Wednesday, I'll be preaching his funeral this Saturday, Phil Sombrato. Uh, I saw him two or three days out of the previous four days, and his limbs got cold as the body pulls the blood in to try to keep the vital organs going as long as possible. His kidneys were shutting down. He was on a catheter. The, uh, the catheter bag was totally red. And they said his kidneys were shut down and he will pass away. His heart was still strong, but he'd stopped eating, stopped drinking. And my mom had reached that point. I remember talking to her that night. It was the last night I talked to her because that night she slipped into a coma. And uh, that was on a Thursday. And uh, she began to get weaker. When people are nearing death, they get a rattle in their, their chest. It's called a death rattle. And it was getting very close. And Saturday, my dad talked to me. He said, son, he said, uh, I believe my place is here with your mother. He goes, I want you to go down tomorrow. Uh, we have, uh, there was not two services that time at Faith Baptist. He said, I want you to teach the auditorium Sunday school class and then preach. I said, yes, sir, I'll do that. He goes, I feel I'm going to stay here with your mom. And so I went down the next morning and uh, drove down the two door, doors in Delmonico, took a left of Fallbrook, took a right on Farallone. You could see the church and the property about 13 acres down there, football field. And there was a church across the street that they now own since the Spanish building. It had a tall steeple and Faith Baptist that drove down there and taught the Sunday school class. And with about five minutes left in the Sunday school, there was a stirring going on in the back of the auditorium. I knew what had happened. My mom had passed away. I prayed. We had about 15 minutes before church started. We lived just a mile away, and I got back in the car, drove back up the hill, got top of the hill, left to Parthenia, right on Delmonico, pulled in, and all my family was there. And they taken the sheet and pulled it up over my mom's face. And my dad, I remember we sang Amazing Grace. And my dad said something about heaven, and we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. And I spent a few minutes there. My dad turned to me and said, son, you need to go down and preach now. My mom had just passed away. I remember getting back in that car, driving two doors down Delmonico, left on Fallbrook, take a ride on Topanga, on a Farallone, going down the street. I was going down what was called Pine Hill. I remember saying this. I said, Lord, I said, I really need you today. I said, I can't do this without you. And I don't know if I would call it an epiphany, but I'll never forget this. It was like the Holy Spirit said to me, Buddy, you always need me. And it was like an awakening in my life because I am afraid I have to admit to you, though I was at that time 35 years of age. I've been in ministry for 15 years. There have been times when I'd stepped into a podium and stepped behind a pulpit in the power of flesh. And the Lord said to me, 
you always need me. And if you call upon me, I'll help you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 commands us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. I preached a sermon on that on prayer and the word help there is a Greek word which says bothia, which means frapping. I didn't know what frapping was. I had to look it up in the English dictionary. Frapping were these cords they'd put on the decks of ships. It's only found twice in the New Testament, once in Hebrews, once in Acts when Paul's in a ship that's going down. And they put those cords around the ship to literally hold the boards together and help them not to spring in the storm as they're beat upon by the waves. Prayer literally helps keep our life together. Helps it to not come apart. As I prayed driving down Fairland that day, it impacted my life. We know we should pray for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. We know that. But do we pray for help with our school? Do we really pray for help with our finances? I talked to a man at length either last night or the night before. Last night, Mike Rivera from Kansas. He just decided to resign his job as a policeman of 13 years, sell his house, and come here to Bible College next year. He has no pension. He has no retirement. He'll have maybe ten dollars or $15,000 in his name. He has no job. I congratulated him on taking a step of faith. By the way, many of you took a step of faith to come to West Coast Baptist College. Never forget as the Israelites stood on the edge of the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant carried on the shoulders of the priests, God said, step into the water. And nothing happened until they took a step of faith. And when they did, God rolled back the waters. I said, sir, you're taking a step of faith. I did say this, start praying right now for a job. I said, I'll pray for you that your house will sell. Man, he's got a wife, he's got three kids. He's taking a step of faith. Can I say this? I think this would be a good verse for him. Maybe I'll get the CD from today and send it to him. Let's look at this passage this morning. As I think about the fears we've had in our life, let me remind you of one thing. Many of our fears are misguided and not real. Do you remember some of your fears you had as a child? How many, honestly, you were afraid of the dark? Anyone like that? there weren't any boogeymen. You know, I remember some of our children, well, Dad, there's, I think there's something in here. I remember looking under the bed, looking in the closet. There's no one here. Then, of course, as parents, we resort to, Jesus is with you. <laughs> and they resort with, we want someone with skin on, you know. So <laughs> we had fears about that. I had a rule in my family, being the oldest of seven children, I was not supposed to scare my younger siblings. And in general, I obeyed that rule. There was one time, though, when they were bothering me. They were supposed to go to bed. My dad is a pastor my entire life when soul winning four nights a week. He was serious about it. Never had a TV at our home. I never saw him read a novel. He memorized about 10,000 verses of Scripture. He was, took a church of 25, grew to over 1,000. He was serious about it. Some people are serious about golf. 
Some people are serious about sports, different hobbies. He was serious about soul winning in church. And he took my mom one night a week. They'd go out with other men the other nights a week. And I was babysitting one time, and they wouldn't obey. They wouldn't help with the dishes. They were just being incorrigible, obviously very unlike their older brother, and just causing problems. And finally, they went to bed. In our family, we had seven kids. We had four boys in one room because, of course, with one girl, she was on the princess program. She had her own room. And uh, I said, go up there, go to bed, be quiet. Two bunk beds in there, and they weren't quiet. And so I decided to scare them. I thought I would put the fear of the Lord in their hearts. I remember dressing in a black sweatsuit and getting a very large butcher knife. And I had one of these really scary Halloween masks that pull over your head. And I climbed up the wrought iron barrister to get up on the porch at the back of the house. And I crawled up by the window. I scratched on the screen. I wanted them to come to the window. They didn't come. I was disappointed. So I began to moan. And they started talking. I could hear them. My dad did not believe in using the air conditioner. It cost too much. They said, there's someone out there. No, there's someone out there. No, there's someone out there. And they said the most beautiful word. They said, well, let's all go look together. (laughs) It's great. So when I saw those four little noses pressed against that screen, I jumped up, brandishing that butcher knife, screaming at the top of my voice, My screams were exceeded only by the screams from inside the house. (laughs) I quickly began to scurry off the roof. I fell coming off the ride on, almost impaling myself, which my mother, being a mercy giver, said that's what I deserved. And uh, (laughs) to make a long story short, I got a bad spanking for that one. But you know what? I remember not being able to take finals because I was behind in my bill. I remember the man I worked for for that year at Bob Jones University, a believer, nice guy, who didn't pay me, didn't pay me, said, so I'll pay you when it came, comes time for finals. And I said, okay. And I kept working and working. And final, final exam came. He said, I can't pay you. He did pay me about three or four months later. I remember crying, literally, calling my dad. I said, Dad, I worked. I don't have the money. If you had one penny there, guys, you couldn't take finals. Back in the day, I don't know what they do now. Back in 1975, if you had anything, you couldn't take finals. I remember my dad saying, well, I'll try to borrow the money and send the money. And I had to wait two or three days to get the money before I could take final exams. I remember that. I remember being afraid about class loads. How do I do this with work? How do I do this with a long class day? I took 18 hours my freshman year. and How do I do it with that? And then playing basketball and softball with my society and Try to do the different things. I believe this verse was a help to me. The precepts, fear not. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fear does not come from the Lord. Now we are to fear God. For Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He's done for you. But we're not supposed to fear man what man can do. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So the Bible says, first of all, the precept, fear not. Can you think back on things you're afraid of and you realize I didn't need to be afraid of those things? You know, this is easy to do. Why was the man of God afraid of Jezebel? 
was not God greater? Had he not won a great victory over the prophets of Baal? But Satan loves to use the tool of fear. I remember when I was little. Do you remember when you were little and you looked at the big kids in like fifth grade? Wow. I mean, they were huge. I remember we talked about the gang the street over from us. The Ingemar gang. They threw walnuts at us on our way to school. We were afraid of that. Boy, we were looking around, looking around. We were afraid. We look back down, we go, oh. Why were we afraid? By the way, Bible college is a wonderful time to grow your faith. You're growing your faith. I learned to walk by faith for the first time. It's the first time I had to pay bills. That I was responsible. The first time my mom wasn't there to tell me to go study. I didn't learn right away. My dad said, don't study your dorm room. I found out. I said, my dad did not know how cool my roommates would be. Later on, I used the library. But you learn. You learn to walk by faith. But then the Bible says this. It says, be not be dismayed. You know what that is? That's the spirit of discouragement. Boy, I'll tell you what. Bunyan understood this when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Satan is the discourager of the brethren. He will try to discourage you. Maybe that's why David said that he encouraged himself in the Lord. I told that to someone in the last 24 hours. I honestly don't remember who it was. Encourage yourself in the Lord. I wrote Pastor Prater, whose son died last week in a tragic accident. My secretary just got his wife's name. I've never met her. I don't know her. Three kids, seven and under. Her husband died working on a truck. The truck fell and crushed him. He died. I'm going to send her a book called When the Will of God is a Bitter Cup. I have a CD. It's not one we produce, but it's just encouraging songs. I'm going to mail it to her. Never met her, don't know her. Probably will never meet her this side of heaven. But I want to help her not to be dismayed right now. I want to help her. By the way, God wants to help you to not be dismayed. So we have two precepts. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. But now we have five promises. And I want to share this with you. You might want to jot these down or just draw a little arrow in your Bible. First of all, he says this. I am with thee. I am with thee. Oh, that's such a blessing. The promise about the presence of God. Now, we know he's the great I am. We could talk about that in just a moment. But he's with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What a great promise. I'm thankful for my wife. Now that our children are gone and grown up, she travels with me a lot. I travel all summer. We literally leave here the Saturday after graduation. I'll preach somewhere virtually every day until August. And other than a few, I've got to leave the group to go to preach at a Bible conference or a graduation. But we'll be together 24-7. I was preaching in San Diego Friday night. She drove down with me all the way down, drove all the way back. We got back about midnight. She goes with me. That's a blessing. But she can't always be with me. A year ago, I was preaching in New Zealand. Two years ago, I was in Sri Lanka. I've been to the Philippines, different places. She can't always go with me to those places. But God is always with us. He indwells us. He's with you. You are not alone. 
You're his. You're adopted. You're a son of God. What a great thing to remind ourselves of the fact that we have the presence of God. He's with you. I had a friend in high school who was an amazing athlete. The school now is 50 years old. Everyone would say he's one of the three best athletes in the history of the school. He made the first team, all school team. We went to Bob Jones as a freshman, 18 years old. He was about six feet tall, about 205 pounds. His muscles had baby muscles that had grandbaby muscles. I'll never forget stories about it. He, he ran for 2,000 yards. He was our tailback and our middle linebacker in football. He was our power forward in basketball. I was the weak forward, no pun intended. I was 6'5", like 180. He was six foot, 200, 205 pounds. Amazing athlete. Best ping pong player I knew, best water skier, phenomenal motorcycle rider. He played catcher of the baseball team. He hit one home run at Buckley High School that the other coach said he believed it traveled 500 feet. That's like Aaron Judge level. I had a weight bench. Back in the days before we had the good iron, we bought the bench from Sears, you know, plastic weights with concrete in them. And I think the whole weight set only held like 115 pounds. And I'll never forget one day, I was there, I just got where I could bench 115 pounds. Joe came to my house, said, oh, he got some weights. He took it with one arm and curled it. Then he started, kind of tilted it one way, just started pushing it with one hand. I immediately wanted to start singing, I surrender all, you know. <laughs> I couldn't do that. But Joe and I got in a lot of two-on-two basketball tournaments. We made a really good team. I was an outside shooter. I have long arms. My sleeve length of my shirt is 37 inches. I have short legs. I'm built very similar to an orangutan. And, uh, <laughs> but with long arms, I could shoot over people. Well, since I'm outside, guards would cover me. I could shoot over them. Joe was incredibly strong, a great jumper. He could dunk a volleyball, even though he was six feet tall. And he could do all these spins around the basket. He was too quick for the big guys. So we made a great team. I'll never forget. We were in a tournament one time, and when you play two-on-two tournaments, you don't shoot free throws. And I started shooting outside. I just kept hitting jumpers. And the guy said, well, every time he goes up, I'll just knock him down. We were playing outside. I'd go up for a jump shot. I didn't elevate very high. But when you're in the air and you get pushed, you fall down. And then I started flinching. And then I went up for the jump shot. The guy pushed me down again. And Joe said to the guy, he said, don't do that again. I'm going, this is going to be good. Joe's going to support his friend. He was my best friend in high school. And I went up for another jump shot, and the guy just shoved me. And Joe said, I told you not to do that. He walked over to him. He grabbed him by the waist, picks him up, and he just throws them in the air. It was a beautiful sight to behold. But he did not land on the ground. He landed on a palm tree. Palm trees have big thorns. The guy was wearing shorts and a cutoff, like a tank top. I remember to this day the screams. It was beautiful to hear. <laughs> Can I say this? He didn't push me anymore. I felt really good going into a game with Joe. Dr. Weaver, you know him. Am I telling the truth? Was he strong? I mean, the guy was an amazing athlete. Folks, we're going into life with God. Omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful. The creator of the universe says, I'm with thee. That's encouraging. We need to think about that. Instead of saying, I'm all alone. 
No one cares about me. My mom's not even thinking about me. My girlfriend's with some other guy at Dairy Queen. God's with us. God's with us. So we see the presence of God. Secondly, we see the person of God. Who's with us? I am. I am. The great I am. There's a song called The Great I Am. Do we think about who God is? <laughs> what a wonderful thing. It's not just someone's with me. I go into a meeting, sometimes I'll go somewhere, and I remember going to a few meetings with Pastor Chapel. When he walks in, I remember going back even 10 years ago, people say, that's Paul Chapel. You know, what does he have to say? He listens. It's great. He's a leader. He's a gifted man, a great preacher. God's used him in a great way. Coming here 32 years ago, 12 people to church to see what God has done. Build $70 million worth of buildings. But that's nothing compared to the fact that God's with us. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So we see, first of all, the promise about the presence of God. Secondly, the promise about the person of God. But then, the promise about the power of God. Man, I like this. He said, I will strengthen thee. I will strengthen thee. He'll give us strength. His arm fails not. Sometimes people say something, it just gives you strength. It just encourages you. I was getting ready to preach the funeral this last Saturday, and I called the widow who prays for me everywhere I go to speak. Her name is Mrs. Marie Davis. Her granddaughter, Jennifer Davis, who she reared, teaches here in the first grade. I said, Mrs. Davis, I said, I'm getting ready to preach a funeral in a few minutes. Would you please pray for me during this funeral? I said, I believe 95% of the people there are not saved. The gentleman who passed away, his name was Willie Mendiola. And I think I knew three or four people there. His sister had asked me to do the funeral. And it was almost all Hispanic and all Catholic. I said, this is a great opportunity. I said, would you pray for me? Now I knew the Lord was with me. I called my dad the night before. I said, Dad, there's going to be a lot of unsaved people there. Would you pray for me? My wife, I asked her to pray for me. I knew that God could use that opportunity. And I knew I didn't want to do it by myself. And God blessed a very simple message. I talked about a place called heaven, a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a plan. And it was the Romans Road. And about 20 people accepted Christ as their Savior. You know what I believe in? I believe in the efficacy of prayer. Now, I'll preach a funeral in the North Auditorium this Saturday. Most people will be saved. The man's an usher, a member of the choir of our church. A dear friend. Hopefully some of his co-workers from aerospace will be here. But I, we still need the Lord's help. We need his help. I will strengthen thee. Folks, do you realize that God doesn't want us to remain a weak Christian? He wants us to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Did you take time to read the Word of God this morning? Did you take time to pray today? I prayed this morning for Molly. I prayed for Steve Robertson. I prayed for Rusty Robertson. Dr. Bobby Robertson, a hero of the faith, passed away yesterday. They need prayer. 
But can I say this? I don't know if I'll see them. The funeral's this Friday. I'm not sure if I'll be there or not. But I know this. God will be there. And he can strengthen them. A church that's had the same pastor, Gospel Light Baptist Church, for 68 years. What a great thing to know that God will strengthen them. And God will strengthen you as well. So we see, first of all, the promise of the presence of God. Secondly, the promise of the person of God. Thirdly, the promise of the power of God. And by the way, we know the verse, and it becomes almost trite with its often repetition. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is still true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where our strength comes from. It's the source of our sustenance, the source of our strength. The power of God. But then we see the promise of the pull of God. The pull of God. He says, I will help thee. I will help thee. Can I say this? He can help us to do things we could not do by ourselves. Brother Johnson, come up here for just a second. Brother Jesse, why don't you come up here for a second? Leave your things there. Would you guys stand right here at the edge of the stage? Why don't you guys come up here, face out. Come all the way up here on the stage, all the way up here. Come on, come on, steps. Why don't you stand right here? Now, will you stand there, you stand right there. I want to illustrate something here. I'll pick two of the bigger guys here, as you can see. I want you to come up here, right here. I want you to stand right down here. And I want you to face the audience. Face the audience. Now what I want you to do is I want you to jump up on the stage from right there. Okay. No, you're supposed to face the other way, though. Okay. Now, he did a pretty good job, though. Can I say this? Victory in the Christian life is not jumping up on this stage. It's jumping up on the roof. You can't do it by yourself. Now I want you to put both your hands up in the air. I want you guys each grab a hand and pull them up on the stage. <laughs> Unfortunately, I heard both shoulders dislocate, but... Uh... <laughs> Can I say this? These guys I knew could pull him up. Why do we doubt that God could pull us up? Why do we think that we have to try to jump up by ourselves? And like I said, not just on a platform, but on the roof. We can't do it. But we can do all things through Christ. He says in this verse, I will help thee. I like it when Brother Shetler, Dr. Weaver, Dr. Getsch, if they help me, that's wonderful. It's great to get things done. But God wants to help you. No wonder David could encourage himself in the Lord. I think maybe if you remember next time you face a seemingly impossible, an impregnable task, remember these three men. He'll pull you up. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you helping me. So let's ask him to help us. Lord, help me with these classes. Lord, show me who I'm to minister to today. Who do you want me to encourage today? Who should I be a blessing to today? Who should I reach out to today? Maybe that impossible person you're trying to witness to at work. He'll pull you up. I could do all things through Christ. 
But remember, the arm of flesh will fail you. Are you putting your hands up and saying, Lord, will you help me? Will you pull me up? What I told Mike Rivera last night on the phone, I said, Mike, start praying for a job now. I made a note. He won't move here until July, but I want to write him every two weeks and say, I'm praying for you about that job. I'm praying for your transition. I prayed with him last night about his house selling. He's got a lot he's worried about right now. How many think Mike Rivera, who none of you have ever met, may have a few things to worry about? Wife, three kids, he's walking away from his insurance. He's walking away from his job. But God will pull us up. Brother Shasani, I told him about you. Matt, I told him, wherever you saw Matt Price here, I told him about you. Picking up and moving all the way from Tennessee here with five kids to go to Bible college. God can help us. He'll never let us down. Finally, we see the promise of the preservation of God. The preservation of God. He says this, I will uphold thee. I'll take care of you. He won't let us fall. He'll help us. He'll support us. He'll preserve us. My wife and I made a visit on Friday, way out 250th Street East. Yes, that's 21 miles east of the college. And talked about a man, not with him, but about a man who this man had talked to, a man had been in my Sunday school class. He said, I can't get him to get over the fact that once you're saved, you're always saved. He said, he grew up in a Nazarene church. He keeps thinking he's losing his salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, no man could take him out of my father's hand. We're saved forever. If you meant it when you got saved, it doesn't matter what you've done. You're saved. Now we want to, because we're saved, we want to work for God. The book of James teaches us that. But it's forever. He'll take care of you. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. He'll uphold us. Now I realize as you go into this semester, we're just two weeks and two days in now, and you look at all the projects that are due. You look at the school bills that are due. Is your third bill due soon? Second, second bill due soon? I'm guessing. Every three to third weeks or so, bills due. They just keep coming like a nightmare. But he will uphold you. He'll provide for you. He'll strengthen you. He is with you. Who's with you? The I am is with you. And as I wrote down these thoughts on Saturday, I said, Lord, thank you for these promises. We can rest in these promises. We can trust in these promises. But first we have to believe the promises. Do we believe the word of God is true? I believe every single person here would say yes. But now let me ask you a question. It's one thing to believe in the promises of God. But it's another thing to apply them. To make application. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? 
You've heard me say many times, God promises a blessing for reading his word, for meditating on his word, and for memorizing his word. Three different promises. Can I challenge you today to meditate on Isaiah 41.10? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Faith is going where we don't see the end of it. Do you know that in Impala, you've probably seen on National Geographic these beautiful animals bounding, taking these giant leaps across the plains. They're great leapers. They can jump over 10 feet high at distances of greater than 30 feet. But in a zoo, they can stay enclosed with a three-foot-tall wall. You know why? They won't jump where they can't see where they're going. Well, they could jump 10 feet high at 30 feet. They'd be free by just jumping over that little wall. That, my friends, is a sight walk. And God's word says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Just trusting him. Just realizing that he is the answer. That he knows what we ought to do. During World War II, I just finished reading a book on the leadership principles of General George Patton. During World War II, a military governor met with Patton in Sicily. Sicily is a small island off the toe of Italy. Italy looks like a boot and very famous home of the mafia. A man praised Patton highly for his courage and his bravery. Here's what Patton said. He said, sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter craven coward. He said, I have never been within the sound of a gunshot or the sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that my palms would sweat. Years later, when this book was published, he said this, and I think it's worthy of you listening and heeding too. He said, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. When I read that, I thought about myself and I thought about you. Will we take counsel today from Isaiah 41.10 or will we take counsel of our fears? I close with this. The psalmist said in Psalm 56 verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Fearful because of grades, I will trust in thee. Fearful because of finances, I will trust in thee. Fearful about a relationship, parents, etc., I will trust in thee. Maybe you go through the heartache of parents getting divorced. Trust in him. Put your trust in him, for I am with thee.